Hey there, it's Todd Yuri, founder of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. What an exciting time it was at the HLTH 2022 event in Las Vegas. We had so much interaction and interest in Babson Diagnostics, the straightforward incubated business that would improve that customer experience in diagnostic blood testing without sacrificing the accuracy or cost of what it is to draw your blood. So simplistic, you have to look up this organization. The HLTH 2022 Pharmacy Podcast event and coverage was brought to you and sponsored by Babson Diagnostics. We want to applaud the Babson team for being so forward thinking in embedding and in reimagining blood testing in pharmacy, in community pharmacies, in our national pharmacies. It's going to revolutionize blood testing. It's coming to you, to a pharmacy near you. Be on the lookout. Thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast. Look up Babson blood testing at babsondx.com. Once again, that's babsondx.com. Please reach out to us at Pharmacy Podcast. We uh, appreciate everything you do. Pharmacist, you are our most favorite providers, and we hope you enjoy this two-part series. Thank you. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Over the past five years, the HLTH event has become the most preeminent gathering in the healthcare industry. The Pharmacy Podcast Network was a proud press and media partner for the 2022 event. Listen into these incredible people transforming healthcare. To learn more about the HLTH event, go to hlth.com. Who has heard of MD Clone? We are here at HLTH 2022 with David Blumenthal. I appreciate your time, David, because I'm curious to understanding how this ties into the pharmaceutical pharmaceutical manufacturer relationship, but then also the pharmacist relationship. So tell us about yourself and MD Clone. Great, thanks for having me. So MD Clone's been on a journey for about six years. Ultimately, we're about empowering end users, empowering the healthcare ecosystem to leverage data, yes, but also just curiosity and ideas that come across from people, whether we're talking about inside a hospital, clinicians, frontline staff, administrators, researchers, students even, or outside the hospital. We're talking about tech companies, entrepreneurs, pharma companies, people with questions, people with ideas to ultimately take better care of patients. How do we leverage those ideas? How do we empower those people to get the insight and ultimately take that insight and uh, deliver it in, in different parts of the uh, ecosystem? So MD Clone is all about that empowerment, those empowerment moments, and ultimately what it comes down to is an interaction between an end user and the an efficient and safe way to engage with data. Um, and that data holds, we know that data holds in it lots of information, lots of insights that can be leveraged in different ways, and we want to empower those users to take advantage of it. Nicole Rogus taught me, and at the time this was Experian Health, uh, way back in the day, I think this was seven years ago, about data integrity and how data is dangerous if it's not being locked down and cared for in the right way. You were prefacing some of that before our interview. Talk to me about data integrity and what MD Clone's doing to assure the safety of that data. 
Yeah, it's an amazing transformation in terms of the way David is used across industry. And in healthcare, the requirement that's that's come down, whether it's government regulations, but it ultimately stems from the patient and being responsible as a health system that you're treating patients, you're collecting information about those patients, how are you responsible to those patients? And the data that you've collected definitely holds a lot of richness. Um, and it can be used as an asset, whether to uh, better better uh, take care of the patients, but it can also be used as an asset to uh, to engage with partners, and that could be revenue opportunities or beyond. How do you do that safely? How do you do that in a way that protects privacy of patients, but gets at the real value that you're trying to deliver? So MD Clone, when we started as a company, the the first piece of technology that we introduced was around synthetic data, which was a mechanism to take the information we've gathered, to take the data we've gathered, but instead of sharing data, instead of this idea of, okay, we're gonna take that data, we might scrub it, but but we're gonna share it, and it's still your real patient data. We came up with this idea around synthetic where we could take that data, we could learn, what uh, the statistics behind that data. We could learn the meaning behind that data, and then we could throw out the real people. We don't need those real people anymore. We just want to learn from you, which is what happens every day in a health system, which is what happens every day when a doctor treats a patient. They learn things about better ways to take care of patients. We take that knowledge, essentially, that's been accumulated inside the data, and we generate new data, fake data, that has the same story, same utility to run all sorts of different analytics, all sorts of different machine learning models that can be used to develop new services, new products, new tools, but it's safe. And because it's safe, we see the, uh, the, we see the ability for health systems, that steward of the data, the one who's responsible to engage with patients, we see them much more comfortable to now engage with the ecosystem. And whether that ecosystem is more research happening at their facility, more analysis happening for quality measures, for, uh, for uh, improved outcomes for patients, for lower costs in the health system, or whether they're comfortable partnering with the ecosystem, partnering with tech companies, partnering with pharma companies, partnering with entrepreneurs, in a way that's efficient and, again, protects the privacy, protects the patient. You're kind of like the biosimilar of data. Indeed, we, uh, we, we love the comparisons to, uh, to what other organizations are doing, other uh, parts of the ecosystem are doing. And yeah, we're, I, I, think there's, I think there's a uh, general consensus, you gotta, protect, uh, you gotta protect data, you gotta protect privacy, and you gotta be efficient. Bio, biosimilars are a way to uh, do things where, uh, where sometimes science doesn't allow you, you can uh, manipulate, uh, manipulate it in your favor. So we definitely take advantage. Where do you see these clinical pharmacists who are doing massive amounts of research, especially in the specialty rare disease state, where do you see them leveraging something that could be brought to the table and solutions brought to the table by uh, MD Clone? Every day, pharmacists, every day people inside the, uh, an organization have questions. And when you talk about rare disease and when you talk about some of, the, some of those areas, you're talking ultimately Ultimately, you're talking about pretty complex populations, pretty complex definitions of what makes up that patient with a rare disease. Comorbidities, medications, procedures that uh, they've undergone, admissions in the hospital. Each of these become another piece of information on a a journey. But each of those, in, in traditional speak, for thinking about how do you take that data and actually provide it in a meaningful way back to the pharmacist, it's a big project. Each of that, each piece of information, the admission, the diagnosis, the procedure, the medication, the lab, each comes from another table in another data warehouse inside a health system. The pharmacist training 
was about care pathways was about a, a, a temporal relationship between uh, data elements. A patient was diagnosed with something. They were they were uh, administered a medication. There were certain lab outcomes that lab, lab measures that were uh, that were generated that led them to another medication, a dosage change. That temporal relationship between data was the underlying infrastructure inside MD-Clone that's quite unique and empowers ultimately that end user that looks like a pharmacist to be able to ask a question in an intuitive way and get the answer in minutes, not months. And that opens up the, the ball game to all sorts of questions. I want to understand efficacy of a certain insulin for a population that failed another treatment. I want to understand a patient population with on oncology who failed first-line treatment. What does that mean to fail first-line treatment? It doesn't code it like that in the data, but that's the way I think as a clinician. That's the way I think as a pharmacist. I failed the first-line treatment. I want to understand second-line treatment, but I want to understand second-line treatment for patients with a comorbidity. That intuitive and dynamic nature to interact with data allows that pharmacist to get answers that ultimately are going to better take care of patients. That's awesome. And then they bring that information, those outcomes, back to the clinical collaboration teams, and now they can move forward. If, if treatment needs to be changed, they have data to back them up in order to suggest those changes. And that's what's happening in specialty pharmacy today. We see. Um, Jack inhibitors, for example, in oncology, they say, hey, it's time to move to a specific one in comparison to the one that was started on based on data. I think MD-Clone could back a lot of that data in based on the syntheticness of all of the cases, thousands if not millions of cases that have come up so that now physician and pharmacist can make um, decisions faster and they can be um, they can be assured that their decision is, what, 99.9% you know, accurate based on the outcomes of all these other people and accelerating that with artificial intelligence too. Indeed, and I'll take it a step further. They can learn that knowledge, but then more and more data is coming in because now they've put into practice a change. And now we can measure outcomes. We can see, did the, did the change we made have an impact? And we can tinker because we might realize that, oh, we, we changed this medication and now we're seeing a different result. Maybe we didn't think about that comorbidity or maybe we didn't think about that other medication that the patient was on or maybe we didn't think about the uh, patient's uh, socioeconomic status having an impact on them and we start to see discrepancies in, in outcomes. We can go back. And that ability to be dynamic, let data be the fuel for imagination and also be the fuel for actual ultimately change inside patient care, we think it's powerful and we see it being powerful. That interaction, if you have static environments, if you have a disconnect between the end user who are, have the ideas and the end user who are actually implementing care and the sort of data world, you don't have the, these outcomes that, that come to light, certainly not in any efficient way. David Blumenthal, MD Clone, thank you so much for being part of the HLTH 2022 post show. I very appreciate, much appreciate your insights. I appreciate the time. Thanks very much. I get to interview some of the most interesting people here at HLTH at the health event 2022. This interview is important to us because we know that community pharmacy is expanding services for their communities, and one of those is, is healthcare testing, and IX Layer is a leader in testing, and I am able to talk to the CEO of IX Layer, Poria Sine. Um, welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Thank you so much, Pai. Thanks for having me. 
So tell us about IX Layer and why I'm so excited about what you're going to be doing in pushing out home care testing, but also partnering with community pharmacies in order to get this testing out. Yeah, so IX Layer is a platform that enables remote lab testing under the brand of our customers. Uh, we live in consumer retailer, retail pharmacies, uh, payer provider, and gaps in care, uh, including within the pharma space as well. And the beauty of us is that we're a platform that integrates over into 40 different services, 27 different labs, uh, in-home phlebotomy, kitting and fulfillment, to power lab testing. If you think about a patient journey from a preventive care to in-clinic care to post-care when you do often chronic condition management, our value really is in one and three, preventive and post-care. So if the patient is sick and they go into the clinic, we don't add that much value. But especially in preventive care, we have a huge value where we enable lab testing and we increase the number of lab testing outside of a clinic. Uh, we've been around since 2018. We've done uh, over 1,100 programs uh, for in-home self-collect testing. We have over 37 tests. For in-home blood draw, we power all of the tests that is above. What's exciting and what we see in the industry is that a lot of the responsibility that is currently within the PCP is moving out of that, and pharmacists play a huge role in the patient journey. Uh, there is a trust between the patient and the pharmacy. So I think it's going to be key to have them involved in a future world where preventive care is really important. It's also going to be key to have them involved in patients that have ongoing lab testing, chronic condition management. Uh, I am one of them myself, so I'm really excited. I have a thyroid uh, condition where I need to get lab tested once a quarter and I have to go into a physician, into my PCP, to LabCorp, back to my PCP, just to get my levels so that I can end up into my pharmacy, I can adjust my Centroid or my thyroid medication, right? This should be a direct relationship with the pharmacist. Uh, this is the same medication that I just adjust the levels. So we're excited about this and it's hoping that we can bring this innovation to our customers. That is awesome to hear. We absolutely agree with you. Uh, pharmacists are seeing their patients nine times more than their primary care provider. We know that the primary care providers are quarterback of healthcare, but those other players that are driving the treatment is so important, which is our pharmacists. Talk to us and talk to our listeners about the process. Like, let's set up a scenario, even with your specific condition, where the patient would pick up the package from a community pharmacy, take it home, take us through that entire process, and then also talk to us about the data that's being derived from that test. Yeah, so... Uh it's quite interesting. There's two different flows, and I can touch on one. One of them is patient-initiated flow. I would like to get a lab test. Uh, in the case of the customer that we've launched with CVS, uh, we're calling it uh, symptom to treatment in a box. So you as a patient go pick up a lab test because you feel like you need to. Once you do it, you scan it with your phone, you go in through a patient onboarding, online digital patient onboarding, where we collect health information that is required for that test. That information is sent to one of our telehealth providers, which approves the test in real time on the background. And a rec form is created for the lab. 
the patient collects the samples through a very nice video instruction of a self-collect at home, ships it back to our partnering lab, lab processes and send the result back to the patient. And in the case of partnership with our uh, retail pharmacist, we also send the data and we can also send the patient back to minute clinic or back to the prescription of the pharmacy. So that there is a patient journey that is very close to the pharmacist and for retail pharmacist, and that way creating a loop with that. This is one of them. There is also within pharma, uh, one thing that is very valuable for a patient is the feedback loop. So assume you are on a drug and you would like to see is this drug really working. By utilizing lab testing, easy accessible lab testing for increasing the patient engagement, you can increase adherence and compliance. I am on this drug, I've been on it for six months, I can see my map values moving in the right direction, and with that, I am gonna stay on this drug, I'm gonna make sure that I'm compliant and filling my prescription at the right times, almost establishing a relationship with that treatment. And I think that lab testing plays an important role in that scenario as well. Shout out to our specialty pharmacists that are out there that really dive into the complexities that some of these disease states present to their patients and the need for ongoing testing to see how the medication is impacting them, where they are, where their levels are at, as, you, as, you've, as, you've, as you've stated, which is absolutely true. Let's talk about the data. So the data is then collected and what pushed to an EHR system and or to a pharmacy management system. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So. We, depending on how we set up the program, uh, we host the data and can push it into EMRs or other vendors depending on the program. The data is uh, our system support, REST API, HL7, and FHIR, so it has the interoperability and can be sent back to, in this case, the pharmacy, but also to the providers. And most of the time when you do gaps in care program, it also gets shipped back to the payers. So we support all of the standards that is out there for being interoperable in the data transfer. So to help our listeners understand, give us some examples of the disease states and conditions that you're actually testing for on a cyclical basis. Yeah, we so the, the, the biggest one are diabetes, oncology, within endocrinology, thyroid testing is, is big. Uh, the past previous year, COVID has really stress-tested situations significantly. We did all of the lab testing for United States Coast Guard, as an example. We're test agnostic. So we are the layer that powers the remote facility of the lab test. But because of our many, uh, because of our lab network, we can support any type of testing. But the big ones is often the ones that have, you know, chronic conditions. I mean, I can throw some stat at you, which is, quite scary. Uh, there's 133 million patients out there with chronic conditions, 60 million don't know they have it. There's 1.6 million cancer patients uh, diagnosed every year. One in three don't get the right screening that they're supposed to. There's 95 million pre-diabetics in US, 23% don't get the screen that they need to. So we need to move away from really sick care to preventive care. Uh, we have a terminology within the company that we call pre-patient, and that's the same thing as preventive care, but zoomed in in one single individual. 
And our goal is if you can manage to screen the patient much earlier, you will make sure that you find them before they become patient. They're still in the pre-patient phase. That way you can identify high-risk patients much earlier. And for medium, low-risk patients, you can influence them in lifestyle changes before they turn into a patient. If we manage to do that, and I think the pharmacists play a huge role in this, we can really increase preventive care. We can also reduce physician fatigue. So making sure that there is more time for sick patients that need the care. And I think there's a whole ecosystem. Everybody plays a very important role in that. Gloria Sine with IX Layer. It's been a pleasure interviewing you. I do want to let our listeners know that we have a longer interview where we're going to dig down into this. We're going to bring on some pharmacists who really understand point-of-care testing and the opportunity that we have for our community, our specialty, our long-term care pharmacies, and all, including hospital systems that are looking for these exterior um, testing providers and testing partners. So I really thank you for being part of our HLTH 2022 post-show. Thank you so much, Doug. Thanks for having me. This is such a special opportunity. We are here with Ramita Tandon. She's the Chief Clinical Trials Officer at Walgreens Boots Alliance. And I just got to hear you talk, Ramita, on stage at HLTH. 2022 about a dynamic change and growth in our healthcare system and how Walgreens is really stepping up to be part of that change. But I want to talk about clinical trials and community pharmacy. So first of all, want introduce yourself, even though I just did, to our listener base and um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Todd, thank you so much for having me today and, and obviously um, joining here, me at Health, and listening to the work that we're doing in clinical trials. Um, I am the Chief Clinical Trials Officer at Walgreens. I started you know, last year to build out this new business segment uh, at Walgreens with, with the intent to really bring trials into our communities. You know, we have 9,000 stores and pharmacies across the U.S. 75% of the U.S. population is within a five miles of Walgreens. So for us, it's about how do we move the needle around access, around participation, particularly when less than 5% of the Americans participate in clinical trials, and of those, 75% are Americans. So we're really uh, collectively very passionate about trying to bring trials into our local communities. When I think of an organization approaching me through a survey, through a phone call, through something in the mail and asking me or my loved one to participate in a clinical trial, I can't help but to get that untrust feeling in my stomach about the whole process, right? Even if, if, even if I'm candidate for it, obviously. But if you insert my community pharmacist into this model, where I trust them, They're being, they've been in my community a while. I think that lowers that non-trust factor. And I think that's another reason why Walgreens is going to be so successful at this, is because you're leveraging people who live in the cities and live in the towns that they've grown up in, and they're pharmacists and they're there for their, um, for their communities. Can you kind of talk to us about Walgreens' strategy around using um, local community pharmacies to, um, to collect this data and to also involve uh, patients within their communities. 
Yeah, Todd, you uh, nailed it on the head in terms of just the 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 fact the trust factor. You know, as a Walgreens brand, uh, we have built the trust over the last 120 year, 20 years old um, brand and trust into our local communities. But what it means is that we will spend the time to educate, empower, and enable our local communities to understand the value of clinical research. To us, it's very important to activate what I call the triple E framework not just receiving an email or a text or some kind of letter about clinical trials, but making sure our local communities, our patients and consumers understand the value clinical research has, their participation in clinical research and what it means, not to them, but within the local communities. Because the information that we collect from patients, both qualitative and quantitative during the clinical trial, becomes extremely valuable to not only ensure broad representation that represents the U.S. And when new medicines come out, the medicines will be representative of the U.S. population. So for us, it's very important to make sure we educate, empower, and enable, and then be able to activate the Walgreens channels, including leveraging our local pharmacies where patients can come into our locations, have the opportunity to spend time with their local pharmacists have that dialogue and really understand what their participation means. And we believe if we spend that time, we then empower them to make that decision to participate. What's the top one, two, even three obstacles that you see that you need participation, you need your communities to understand what Walgreens is attempting to do in order to What's going to end up happening, Ramita, is the acceleration of clinical trials because now you won't have to go through the stops and starts that a lot of the traditional or uh, status quo organizations that concentrate on clinical trials. So there's an advantage here using a community pharmacist that once again does have that trust factor. But what are the obstacles that you're seeing in place that Walgreens is prepared to, to bypass? Well, Todd, like I mentioned earlier, less than 5% of the U.S. population participates in clinical trials. So for the most part, the lion's share of our communities, 50% of our locations are in underserved communities or, you know, communities of color. There's a lack of awareness and, and education around clinical trials. And we recognize we can't do this alone. So we're being very intentional and purposeful as we create an ecosystem of partners at a local level. We believe that those partnerships are going to be very vital and the success of us trying to bring people along and get them to participate in trials. During the COVID-19 pandemic, we gained significant learnings during that process. It was not a one-size-fits-all strategy as we went into our local communities and uh, tried to get patients and consumers vaccinated. We had to have those partnerships at a local level and to be able to activate consumers and patients to feel empowered and get the vaccinations in arms. We plan to use those learnings as we apply to clinical trials. So really it's around the lack of awareness and spending time on educating a lion's share of this U.S. population around clinical trials and the value the participation has and ensuring new medicines will be representative of the, of the nation. 
Ramita Tandon, Walgreens. It's been an absolute honor and pleasure to interview you here at HLTH, and we hope to have you back on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Thank you, Todd. Look forward to coming back. GSR Ventures. I'm sitting here with Justin Norden and Sunny Kumar. And when this interview got set up, I initially, um, I wasn't excited. I'm going to be truthful with my listeners. I was like, you know what? Investors, okay, you know, let's talk about some stuff. It has to be interesting because you're here at health, right? But then I found out that you're physicians that actually care. And when I thought, okay, you're backing investors up with some intelligent people who understand the impact of good health care design and innovation, I'm like, I have to interview these people. So welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Network's coverage of H- HLTH 2022. So, Kumar. Todd, such a pleasure to be here with you. Really excited to tell you a little bit more about us, what we do, some of the areas that we focus on. At a high level, GSR Ventures, early stage tech-focused investor, $3.5 billion under management, now investing out of our eighth fund, where we look at supporting entrepreneurs all the way from the company formation stage to really scaling up those companies to have transformative impacts on healthcare. What do we mean by transformative? Not looking at doing things 5%, 10%, better than previously possible, but really looking at opportunities to deliver healthcare 2x, 3x, 5x, some cases even 100x more efficiently than previously possible. And we look at outsized scale. So we're looking at companies that can generate a billion dollars or more in revenue. A little bit about us personally, I'm a physician by training, did my medical training out at Stanford, have a background in artificial intelligence and informatics, did my MBA at Stanford as well, and then most recently was an entrepreneur working on a voice-based NLP platform, goal of reducing readmissions for patients with chronic disease before joining GSR, where I've now been here for six years, working with Justin and our team overseeing our healthcare technology portfolio. Again, thrilled to be here with you today. Justin, you have to introduce yourself and tell us your background with GSR. Perfect. Thanks again, Todd, for having us here. It's going to sound a little bit like a repeat from Sonny you just heard from, but also a physician, Stanford physician by training, did my MBA at Stanford as well. Started out a little bit differently. Started out as a computer scientist, did my undergrad and master's in computer science, computational biology, focused on machine learning and genomics. Took a few clinical detours along the way, which is obviously why we're having this conversation. Helped launch our Stanford Center for Digital Health. We were doing some of the first telemedicine visits out of Epic, a little bit before its time, before telehealth was so present today. Um, Ended up jumping out to Apple on the healthcare team, and then launching a few startups of my own, one around algorithm safety and trust, ended up actually pivoting out of the healthcare space and selling that company to Waymo, Google's self-driving car company. So, you know, Sunny and I get really excited about how do we take new technologies, solutions, AI, to fundamentally change, augment, and not replace our, cl- our clinicians across the board, and that's what gets us really excited at GSR Ventures. You're saying so many keywords that I get excited about. First of all, artificial intelligence implanted into specialty pharmacy in order to make decision trees so that the specialty pharmacist knows exactly what's going on on day two, day seven, day 60, day 90, based on all the data that has been collected over patient outcomes during those kind of uh, trials and, and placements of, of the care and having AI rush ahead and predict 
based on 100, 200, 1,000 outcomes about what that patient is going to experience. I've seen in person these specialty pharmacists and the way that they impact a patient's understanding to stay adherent on medications and how AI is a part of that. Number two is digital therapeutics. We're going to be um, coming back to GSR in future episodes to talk about some of your digital therapeutic um, updates going beyond where paratherapeutics started, starting to talk about the, the ingestible pill capsule that breaks down with stomach acid and gives readings up to your iPhone and metrics and things like that. And then third is clinical trials and your advancement of technology in clinical trials, processes in clinical trials. But my favorite, and I'm biased, is involving our community pharmacists who already have the trust of their community to accelerate clinical trials and have people come in and not are, are not afraid in some cold white room with a bunch of plastic chairs sitting around, you know, filling out forms, but a more warm environment and, and, and being able to trust a provider in the community that is their community pharmacist. So I'm going to start with you, Justin, and that is kind of give us um, that forward thinking of, without giving any way of your secret sauce, about what you're doing in the space of digital uh, therapeutics and how you see that impacting patient care. Absolutely. I think digital therapeutics is such an exciting area of what can we do with evidence-based software that can be prescribed by someone, you know, anyone on the clinical team to really help patients. And, you know, over the past few years, as you mentioned, it's really accelerated. We're seeing more and more therapies approved. And where we're still seeing that gap today is on the reimbursement side and really getting that to educate the providers and the patients at hand that this is the future. So I think it's coming, but I think it's actually taken a little bit longer than many would have hoped for um, to kind of reach that adoption and scale that, that we need. So this is actually one of the things I talk about uh, in my course. I teach a digital health course at Stanford, one of the most popular electives. And one of the things we do early is we need to educate the next generation of providers across the board that these software-based interventions going through just as rigorous, you know, RCTs, et cetera, so that we know these, these things work and make sure that those providers can educate and support patients who are going to be taking these you new know, next generation drugs. So, you know, really, it's, I think it's taken longer. I think there was a lot of excitement. Hey, once it's FDA approved, it's going to be ready. Everyone's going to adopt it. All right. So let's shift and talk about clinical trials. What type of investments are you making in that space? And where do you see clinical trials going in comparison to the status quo of where we're kind of stuck right now? So if you zoom out, you know, the entire clinical trial industry is absolutely massive. But interestingly, historically has not been transformed by technology. So when we look at this space, we believe that there's a tremendous opportunity to use technology to speed up clinical trials, to make them more efficient, to make them more convenient for patients, and ultimately bring more therapies to market faster, more efficiently, more effectively than previously possible. One of the areas that we've been particularly excited about is decentralizing clinical trials. You know, you mentioned this. Historically, the way that most patients have engaged with clinical trials is to go to big academic medical centers, be in that, you know, clinical room. The challenge there is that it's tough for patients, you know. It means that they have to go to that big academic medical center, which may be very far from where they live. They may have to do that 20, 30, 100 times over the course of a clinical trial. That adds significant burden to them. And as a result, many patients will drop out of a clinical trial extending the overall time it takes to get that drug approved. What we've seen happen, especially accelerated by COVID, is a movement towards decentralizing that trial. How do we bring that trial to the patient, potentially into their home? 
And one thing that you mentioned that's actually particularly exciting is we're seeing the community get more involved in this as well. One of our portfolio companies, Medible, has become a leader in the technology element of decentralized trials, and they've now started partnering with community-based organizations, in particular uh, pharmacies. So they actually announced a partnership with CVS this year to have CVS become one of the largest trial sites. As you know, CVS is uh, common in almost every community. And as a result, you can now have CVS be the location of a clinical trial site as opposed to just having the trials be done at big hospitals, big academic medical centers. To us, this is going to be a big transformative change. And I think if you zoom out and look out two, three, five years from now, we're going to see the entire clinical trial landscape look very different than what it is today, all with the ultimate goal of cutting the cost of clinical trials by 2x, 3x, maybe 5x, bringing many more therapies to market than were previously possible. Justin, what do you, what's your shout out to our pharmacist listeners in, in really letting them know what is coming, what is innovation from an investor's perspective? Absolutely. So I think one of the things that's really going to happen as we look forward in the next few years is care is going to be delivered more and more in the community. The people who've built trust over the years with this community, with those patients, one of the most exciting uh, providers is, is the pharmacist. And in that regard, these are people and, you know, we know in the hospital, you know, titrating, giving the correct medication, the correct dose, changing whatever uh, you know, physician error is there. But they're the ones actually getting the feedback from the patient, educating the patient, and making sure the correct thing is happening. One of the exciting things to us about kind of digital technologies and things happening is more and more care is going to be pushed um, to that last mile of care. And I think pharmacists are you know, an excellent group um, to kind of embrace these technologies and I think really increase that, not necessarily scope of practice, but really impact across you know, the total outcome to patients. And so I think that's really an area that gets us excited. Um, how do we kind of get more touch points with the patients? How do we kind of leverage and allow maybe a pharmacist to see even more patients kind of deliver that much more care? And so I think that's something coming down the pipeline. How do we do that? You're saying, maybe, wait, that sounds impossible. How are we doing this? When technology starts to offload some of the mundane rote tasks that really don't need a human in the loop to make that decision, maybe they can triage better prioritize patients together, prioritize reach out, automate reach out, combine that with the human decision making. You know, none of the companies uh, in our portfolio want to completely replace a provider. It doesn't make any sense. We need more providers. But how can we augment what they're doing? How can we remove some of the rote tasks and to let them actually deliver that care, build that empathy and trust with the patient? That's where exciting things are going to happen. Um, and so, uh, you know, whether that's digital therapeutics, whether that's increased touch points, remote patient monitoring, all of these things are going to be present in the years to come uh, as we deliver care as a nation. I want to thank you both for being part of the HLTH 2022 post-show. And like I said, I want to have you both back because we have bigger things and and going deeper into some of these subjects as well as meshing in some of our pharmacists who we trust uh, in the space of artificial intelligence and digital therapeutics. So I thank you both. Real pleasure to be here, Todd. Great to meet you. Thanks again. Thanks so much, Todd. Appreciate it.